right, TK, welcome back to another edition of Travis and Justin talk to each other for a while. And <laughs> over the course of the last week, um, I forgot how beneficial it was to have human interaction during the COVID times and had several old, like we used to do in the academy a lot, what I consider whiteboard meetings where you just come up with a topic and you start flowing ideas with good, smart people. And, and we had some visitors coming through the um, academy this week. A couple guys from the Mets just kind of strolled in and um, I love the, 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 col the collaboration that we've had over the past several years. And I think about one of the things I was worried about when we went with one team exclusively, you remember how awesome it was two or three years ago when we probably literally had all 30 teams come in our building and we didn't have to go out to them. You think about, man, how much time and effort would we have to spend seeking out all these really good people in the industry and how beneficial it was for us just to be able to, I mean, they were coming in to, to see what we were doing and probably try to learn something from us, but at the same time we were learning just as much from them um, of being able to do that. So it was really cool this week to have like a real in-person meeting and talking about a few subjects that uh, we're, we're trying to figure out more. Like well, when guys lose the barrel, what, what can we do? Which I feel like is one of the hardest things to fix on hitters. What, we, what can we do to speed up that process? Uh, and just kind of like hear other people's thoughts on that. And that's, that's something that I have really missed over, the, over this COVID time of doing everything via Zoom, which just looking back on it now, like really stinks. Like you can only do so much over a computer screen. I know you missed out on that, but man, it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, you know, we had talked to like earlier, I think one of our, maybe our second or third episode or whatever it was. And we were talking about like the um, ABCA time and not being around, being able to sit and just talk to people and hear stories and, and just hear as to what they're thinking on and what they're doing and how they're navigating it. And, you know, going back, <laughs> it was like there was there was a there was that period of time where I feel like every every week we had somebody new in and you know getting to hear different people's perspectives and being able to understand kind of even how their brain works like how do they think about the things that are probably relatively similar to the way we think about it but just the way that their brain processes it how they put it out and then just kind of sitting back and taking your thoughts and kind of meshing them with their thoughts and then, you know, adding new thoughts and navigating that has always been like, for me, I guess that's kind of where I find my, my brain and heart kind of always wants to go to is to be creative, to hear things, to try to come up with a better, a better mousetrap as it were to, to fix issues whether it be in a swing or in a throw or even in even you know even though my background isn't you know initially in anything to do with you know the gym um, strength training stuff like that is to find better ways to use the gym time as well as a transfer portal to the cage so you know not taking just traditional lifts or traditional movements but finding ways to, to take those movements and make them a little bit more specific to what we're trying to get done in the cage or on the field. Um, and then bouncing those ideas off and testing those on some players, then getting some more, getting some more, you know, smart minds to come in and be like, Hey, what do you think about this? I've been, I've been playing with this for, you know, the last month with in, in the gym and with my players. And, you know, here's kind of the, some of the results I've been getting, you know, what do you think about this? And, um, it's hard, it's hard to do, it's hard to do on your own. You know, it's easier to do when you have other smart people to, you know, kind of talk you through their thoughts. And sometimes, you know, you, you get really blinded to, you get blinded to what you want to, to be an answer. You know, you're like, Oh, I think I got something here. And then you, you blind yourself a little bit sometimes to, to other things. And then other people step in and say, well, have you thought about this? And you go, Oh man, you know what? I haven't thought about it that way. So, you know, being around people is definitely, you know, a benefit. And, you know, for me now, and I know you probably a little bit less because I know you're stuck 
um, being in front of your computer, not necessarily in the facility the way you were before, you know, we've got like, shout out to our team, man. Like, honestly, like we've got, we got some really, we got some really great people on our staff, you know, and we've got some, some really good interns that have come through that, that still are around and do such a great job. You know, you know, we've got a guy on staff now, his name's Colin that, man, I swear Colin, Colin probably asked me at least one or two questions a day. Yeah. And, yeah, he, and he's in there when I'm in there in the morning, which and he's like watching the pro guys work out and asking questions. We have some young guys on that staff that are so much farther ahead than we were. Oh, and I, I know they have like resources to do it, but like we, we have a kid, Jake Miller's probably 21. That, that dude just lives in like, we have our own research team now. He's in there yeah. like digging into things that I haven't dug into yet. He's like, what do you think about this? It's like, keep studying it. He goes down some wormholes kind of like you once in a while where a girl is like, dude, there's too much variability there. Like stick to something simple, study it, come up with an answer. But I'm thinking I was, I was, as I was talking to those guys from the Mets, it's like, we have people in this, this place that every team would want to hire because they know how to do all the data analysis. They can throw BP, they can uh, troubleshoot tech. I'm like real and kudos to them. That wasn't, that's just them getting it in, like being interested in wanting to dig into it. But yeah, it's really, it's really, really cool to see that. Um, I, I wrote some things down while you were talking there. You said something like when you're by yourself, you do things your own way and you don't, and you get very comfortable doing that. And you need people on the outside to challenge you. So if you're a facility owner or you're a high school coach, like the whiteboard meeting for me is some of my favorite time of coming up with new ideas or, or challenging your own thoughts. Like you have to do that. You have to challenge your own thoughts. And I wrote one of them down as we were talking about yesterday. Some, um, you, you know, we, you and I have talked about a, a scap load for 10 or 12 years before it became commonplace. And the, the, the term load on the back end of that's probably a, a bad word to put in that phrase. But I think back to the, the dominance of hip and shoulder separation, the exploration of that. And I feel like what you and I are trying to do now is remove as much hip and shoulder separation as quickly as possible. Because I feel like hip and shoulder separation hurts more players than it helps. And before I get into a, a couple of the drills or, or what we were thinking on that, just give me your thoughts on hip and shoulder separation for pitchers and hitters. Yeah, that's actually, you know, I probably have that conversation <laughs> once a day. Um, I had a conversation yesterday with, with a kid uh, that plays actually within our travel, our travel organization that was in for a lesson. Um, very, very hypermobile kid. Like I'm talking like I tease him because one time he was, he was hitting and I said, I said, man, you are over rotating way too much. I said, think about it this way. Like you can only turn, you can only turn in right now just for just cue wise. You can only turn in, so that your shoulders can stay square or that or not shoulders, so that your that your both your eyes can see the pitcher. I just kind of left it that way. Cause you know, we were just doing T work set up at the beginning and you know how the over rotation T work comes. So I was just like, listen, man, like imagine you can only turn in that far. And he goes like this and he's sitting here and he goes like this. He goes, mm, and his chin, I swear, I got a picture of this. His chin goes all the way to here. He's like, so it's like call, the exorcist call, where, where the girl's call, head spins all the way around backwards. huh? <laughs> I told him he's like an owl. I said, bro, like, how do you even do that? Like, that's crazy. But he's that way everywhere. Like he's hypermobile everywhere. And, you know, I sit and watch him throw. And as a thrower, I'm like, this dude is going to throw hard. I told him, I said, your only job early on right now, because he's still relatively young. Um, when I say relatively young, he's, you know, sophomore in high school. Um, I said, you just need to learn how to control that full range of motion. Like you need to have strength enough to control that entire huge range of motion. And if you do, you're going to have a chance to do some wild things on the mound. Now we've also sat down and had the conversation because he does the same thing as a hitter. And I told him, I said, man, you are going to struggle to survive as a hitter because it just takes you too long to get through that entire range of motion you're going to have to cheat so early to try to get to balls because it takes so much. So yesterday he came in and threw, threw and hit with me. So he comes in for an hour 
and you know we started on the mound and we were going through some work and again it was like we're only learning how to control that range of motion how do we utilize that range of motion to your advantage you know how do you coordinate the timing of how to get in and out of that motion so I, i've been saying that a lot like how do we get in and out of positions and that's really just like understanding the fluidity of movement is how do i get in and out of a position versus how do i just get into a position it's how do way, I way easier to do for a pitcher than a hitter too by the way it, well it is because you can control it but because the range of motion is so big the timing of it becomes difficult because if you mistime it it's almost yeah, just and as bad that's where you see the lack of syncing up with so many young hitters like they're we say it's being in sequence and that's not necessarily the the end game for every hitter because guys that are hypermobile are rarely in a traditional sequence but um being able even if they are in a different pattern a hypermobile pattern which is often going to be the torso um the shoulder ahead of the, the core um being able just to be consistent with that move because you know the, it's the lack of consistency that those hitters fight well, and that's so that's what we did on the on the hitting side. It basically became, you know, I said, try to find try to find where you feel like you can control that you can only go forward as a hitter. Meaning like when he would hit, he would want to go and his 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 pelvis and hips would want to rotate, but his upper body wouldn't be ready to go because there's still so much space there and he doesn't have that you know complete probably rotary stability and functional ability to just get the torso to manually go on his own so it became more of like let's just kind of get to a position and we did we started from a little bit more of a static position which i don't typically do and i said from from this position you can only go forward there can be no you go and the hands lay off or the body upper body still waiting to go or the hands aren't ready to go and it became almost more of a thought of like you have to probably feel like you need to just push into the ball so that this huge long whip that you're not able to manage completely yet will beat you. And the issue is like, you know how it goes now with young kids. Like the toughest thing is like, man, like I, I don't even think like specialty stuff was a thing when I was a kid. Like there was no, oh, you're 16, you're gonna be a PO. Like that was, who, what, like where was that a thing? But now it's like so many things are going to that. It's like, man, like, you know, you're, you're at this point already, they're almost telling guys like you're, you're, you're behind in hitting by enough and you're a good enough thrower that you should just stop doing this now and go and do this. And, you know, part, partly like what my job also entails is that I am trying to help these kids live both sides of baseball as long as they want before somebody feels the notion to feel like they need to take it away from them. So like me having him push, or feel a push, I told him, I said, you might lose a little bit of power, but you're going to be able to keep surviving as a hitter and it'll allow you time and more time to be able to keep getting better rotary control to manage this length, to give you a chance to maybe hit for a considerably longer time, but yeah. you might have to give up a little bit of power in this short term so that in the next year, they don't make you a PO because then you're going to lose it. And, you know, at that point you decide, well, you know, do I go and find some team that won't, that'll let me do both? Or do I want to stay on, you know, in this program or in this, you know, school environment or however, you know, because it's coming from, it's coming from high schools and from travel, right? Like they, there's high schools that have POs, there's, there's travel that have POs, like it's not like it's just one or the other, you know, and that's partly, that's partly the job now too. It's like, I'm just trying to get this kid more time to be able to let him become a good hitter, you know? Yeah, that, that's a really good point. That's something I've toyed with or toyed torn with in talking to parents of 14 15 16 year old kids is like we can put a band-aid on this right now for for the time being knowing that you're just not strong enough to stabilize that move so we're going to teach you a push pattern um, so you can have some success as a hitter and then knowing that at some point we're going to have to go away from that when you're strong enough to stabilize the move and the way i kind of think about it going into what, what i was talking about with the, the scap load is I picture a wooden doll toy. Stick with me here and visualize this. And I have the upper body of it. So we're gonna call the upper body from the bottom of the chest up. I have this wooden doll toy. Okay. At the bottom of it, I have it from my pelvis down. It's also a piece of the wooden, ball wooden doll toy. And I split it in half. 
There's two independent pieces. Between that, I have a slinky, a full, long length slinky. And imagine if I held this wooden doll from its head and the slinky and the pelvis and the legs below are just waggling back and forth there. There is no control. And you could spread the slinky out. And basically what we're trying to do with that wooden doll toy is make that slinky rigid and tense versus it being so loose. And what I was, we were talking about yesterday in the shop with the scap load of, of the, the, the motion of the scapula trying to connect the upper body and that slinky in the middle to the rigid lower body is completed when the scapula folds over the rib cage. So the action of, we talked about the scap load is, is a pulled back, but then it's going to fold over and it's gonna come down. And that's the action that makes that slinky in the middle rigid, tight, and connects the upper body to the lower body. It's folding over the rib cage. So we were doing some creative drills with that, actually with like a kettlebell, kettlebell in the hand because if you lay it off, you, you lose the feel. The kettlebell just like rips your supraspinatus off and like, like a rotator cuff tear. Uh, but just creative ways of feeling that action. We've done it with the PVC pipe and, and the, the fold over. But it also goes to think about, you know, when we do the movement screen and how many kids 15 and under have winged scapulas that can't even have that action of connecting the upper body to the lower body because just their lack of scapular strength causes the scapulas to be winged out. So if you have a young athlete at home and, and they take their shirt off and it looks like they have horns sticking out of their back, they already have a deficiency in the scapular region uh, that won't allow their upper body to fuse through their lower body. Now, that's a very, if you want to call it physiological or scientific way of saying we need to take the hip and shoulder separation out in order to fuse the upper body to the lower body and take that slinky that is so elastic and make it very rigid and uh, easier to do on tighter movers, right? Because the slinky, instead of being two feet long, is like three inches long, easier to make that rigid, shorter amount of time to do it. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, that's, you know, one thing, you know, I've been, you know, toying with for the last few years is kind of that same thought, like how, how are we able to create, how are we, how are we able to create a feel, I guess is the best way to do it, to help eliminate some of that slinky until the body gets stronger, or even more aware. I think, you know, still like talking to kids and you're, you know, you try to move them through stuff and, you know, I'm, I'm still, you know, relatively hands-on of, of like moving people around to help them try to feel certain, certain movements, certain things. Um, because in my mind, you can manually shut down some of the space. I don't, you can't, you can't shut it all down unless you're extremely physically strong. But you can, you can eliminate some of that slinky simply with manual body control. So whether it's, you know, utilizing your stabilizers um, or whatever it ends up being, like you can manually eliminate some of it. So then it's like, how do we create feel for the, for the people that we know we're just, again, we're trying to buy time until they can get better strength around what they're doing to control it easier and you know playing with drills so you know i use a lot of i use a lot of like banded work you know so we'll we'll use bands and we'll work on trying to move the body um with some resistance so if you give you know something that's now let's say i'm, I'm banded going away from me here and i'm holding i'm holding that resistance and i have to move forward it wants to keep pulling me out how do i resist that without feeling like i have to counter my turn to resist because at that point i'm not necessarily doing anything with the scap i'm just rotating my body inward which is what which, which is so what, many of those kids do yeah which is what and why you see what you see on the t is because the the control of the resistance isn't there and they feel like they're creating the resistance just by turning in versus by actually resisting a movement around the trunk of the body yeah so the counter rotation you know, will take slack out. It's just a bad way to do it for the, for a hitter and for a, for a hitter really bad. Yeah, for a hitter really bad. So I got a question for you. 
Um, going along the same line, I had this, I just kind of posed this question the other day. So imagine this analogy, and then I want you to pick which one, and then I want you to explain why you feel like it's an easier route for you to pick that answer. Okay. Go. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you two options. The first option is you have a vehicle with a massive engine, but very, very sketchy brakes. Or I'm going to give you a vehicle with an engine that's not very powerful. Maybe it's an electric engine, um, but just world-class brakes. And you have to pick one of those to put inside your hitter. And then you also have the opportunity to work with that hitter. So you can, you can then work with them to cure the opposite side of whichever one. Which one do you choose? And what do you do to navigate fixing the negative aspect of it well, depends on the age here what's the age of the, the car uh well let's let's go i'm going to give you since you're dealing majority wise with with pro athletes so let's go pro athlete okay and i hate to be wishy-washy on my answer but i'm gonna give you two different scenarios which i would want each if it's a younger professional athlete patience is going to be a virtue here i would take the bigger engine and really work like hell on accomplishing better breaks. Okay. So I'm an older, established professional athlete. I am, and, and I have one of these guys that we, we've had this conversation with all off season. Um, veteran pro at this point, small engine, concerned about the engine. There's really two guys I, I can think of, major leaguers, that we've had this conversation with. Fairly small engine. They are both concerned about the engine and I'm trying to ease their mind of relaxing that concern and being more focused on the brakes. And here's why the quality of contact and the consistency of contact, I will take over players that are constantly going to miss hit balls because their brake system isn't very good. Albeit their max exit velocity is going to wow you way more but they're just not going to be able to do it and repeat it enough times with professional athletes, because the consistency of contact is becoming rarer and rarer in the game with, with more players with bigger engines and worse breaks. Um, I feel like the ability to have a good brake system, not only gets you a better like time to contact because you're, you're shortening the, separation between segments but it's giving you better direction and better distance in the zone which in turn gives you better chance for consistency of contact so for a younger guy give, give me the chance of the engine in trying to, to to put a better braking system in them but even if i have seven of those type of guys five of them we're not gonna be able to get right two of them we will but if you give me seven guys with small engines i feel like consistency of contact and i would say small it's like still adequate to be a pro but the, on the lower end of the pro spectrum six or seven of those guys are going to hit um because it's just it's it's more consistent path through the zone um which is going to give you more often quality of contact so there you go so so based on that so, so based on that would you say that there is more value still in professional baseball for exit velocity over quality of contact. And that doesn't mean we're, that doesn't mean that doesn't mean you're having to choose one or the other. Do you feel like there's still more value or do you feel like organizations still have more value into guys that can just hit missiles versus guys that are just really good at squaring the ball? Yeah. And, and again, I don't think there's one, there's a blanket answer for that. I think exit velocity is always going to be an attraction. It's, and this is where I feel like um, scouting departments and PD need to work hand in hand of what risk are we willing to take on? And are we able, do we really feel like we're going to be able to mature this hitter with the high exit velocity, likely a, let's say a, a looser mover, low rotary stability, there's length in the swing. You know, there's like, there's a lot of flags in there. Like, can we take that risk on knowing that this player is going to have a chance to hit a ball 115 miles an hour? Um, and it, it, there is risk there. 
And it, it's a safe play to have guys that are really solid bat-to-ball guys. But I, I feel like we're in a time and place right now, and, and this is just my opinion, it's speculation, this has nothing to do with our pro organization or any of them. I feel like we're at a, a place in the game right now where we're just we're on that ebb and flow back to those type of players. I just think that like 115 mile an hour exit velocity is very attractive, but are organizations at a place in the game right now to accept guys that are going to do that at a let's call it a 210 to 230 clip? And I, I, to each organization, that's probably a little bit different. Or are we going to say we're, we're fine with the guy that maxes out at 102, but his you know the bat to ball average is just, is is way higher? If you have that special guy that can have the exit velocity and stabilize it, they're special. But I I think of one of the more prevalent prospects in the game in the American League, and like looking at his video and the, 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 the exit velocities are off the chart. I'm like, I don't see this guy ever hitting at the big league level because there's this all those things that we just talked about, the exit velocity is there, but the consistency of contact is so poor. And there are so many like red flags in the swing mechanics because he can't stabilize his move. That I'm like, I don't, I don't see it. I don't see this guy having a ton of success. And, and maybe he still grows into his body and gets stronger, but that's, so that, that's you, my answer to that one. Do you think that ever changes though? I mean, cause I know that there's always the give and the take, but, you know, from the top down, if you're a kid, if I'm a if I'm a high school kid, and I'm deciding kind of where I'm going to take myself, because you know you, you're already starting to make decisions like what kind of hitter am I? A little bit when you're in that age, like you, your body's starting to mature a little bit, and you're starting to kind of figure out a little bit who you are. And if I'm looking at the grand scheme of it, and all the guys that I probably end up idolizing are you know, typically probably the guys that are getting the bigger contracts in the big leagues because they're usually, you know, what are deemed as the better ball players. Yeah, and there's been studies on that. Like, there is a direct correlation to income and exit velocity. There is. Well, and that's that's what I'm saying. So, like, if you're telling me – that's what I'm saying. Do you think it'll ever go the other way? Because, like, if you're – it's just like for pitching. Like, the bigger – I think those guys are the outliers, Travis. I I do. I think those guys are, like, the the 1%. There's so many underneath there – that just never even get to make an income because they never get out of the minor leagues. Well, but the, in the in the in the pitching realm, I think it's still a little bit different. Like you're not just giving the twenty five million dollar contract to some dude that can just throw fuego. Like you're giving the money to the guy that throws a little bit harder, but is a very good pitcher. Meaning, like this guy is going to be in contention for a Cy Young. We are going to pay this guy because he is going to put wins wins on the board. But he also does something that's special beyond an average thrower. It's the difference between, you know, a guy throwing 90 and having 15 wins and a guy throwing 95 and having 15 wins. The guy that's throwing 95 and has 15 wins, if everything else is relatively cons- cons- uh, relatively consistent across it, the guy that's throwing 95 is going to more than likely get the higher paycheck yeah. Because, yeah. He can, because he can still throw well. But as a hitter, I feel like it's completely different. Like you're going to get guys that are going to hit 240 or 250 and get a big contract versus do you think if there's a guy that hits 340 with a very low slug, do you think that guy is going to get a big contract or just an average size contract? Average. And I know you don't. Know, I know you don't know the answer to that question. I think. I think average. I, I think there's still going to be a premium on slug and ISO. Um, but I, I think there's going to just going to be we're at a place. I think there's going to be less tolerance for really low on base percentage, even though you have a high slugging percentage. And, and again, that's just complete speculation. But I, I feel like the. As the game always ebbs and flows, I, I feel like that's probably the way the game is trending right now. And I, I'll bring up something else. Like if I'm a high school player, I, I take this at a different perspective. I take it as I need to have high exit velocity. That I because the pro guys, for the exception of the bottom 10%, all of them, 90% of them have adequate exit velocities to be a major leaguer. Doesn't mean they have to be at the top end of the spectrum, but you have enough that if 
other things fall into place, you could be a major leaguer. Some of them just never get strong enough, that bottom 10% to like be a, a major leaguer. But a college recruiter and a pro scout are, are looking for, for different things. Like if I'm a high school guy and I want to move on past high school baseball, I better be physical enough to be physical in the game at whatever that next level looks like. So if I'm a high school player, I am, and this is more just strength training. If I'm strong enough, I'm going to have better exit velocities. I don't think it's necessarily training that way of, um, of just like maxing out my effort in the cage. I don't think that's not the way to achieve better exit velocity. The way to achieve better exit velocity is just be stronger. And I, and I do think, um, and there are academies across the country and some very prominent ones that train that way. Like I'm maxing out my effort in the cage. Like that's great. But in my opinion, that's not the way to achieve exit velocity. Like you, all you're doing is you're gaining a couple miles of exit velocity for the detriment of performance in a game, in my opinion, like get strong, but separate your strength from your, your skill work. And those are two separate things that merge together. But if you're just not strong enough and you're, overcompensating on the skill side and trying to achieve your exit velocity from the skill side, you're probably negatively affecting the skill. So if you had to, in your best, in your best guess, um, put a number on where somebody would, would want to be, to be adequate, meaning good enough to play at that level, maybe not the superstar at that level, but good enough to keep making that jump. So let's say the number is a high school kid that is looking to be able to play, let's say low level division one baseball. Like they want to be at a adequate enough speed that that college is going to pay attention. Now, obviously that means that they're doing stuff on the defensive side or they're a good runner or they're a good, you know, contact guy as well, but like, what, what would you, what would be your best guess at what like an adequate number for exit velocity would be for a kid that's looking to be able to compete at a low or, or mid-level D1? Um, I would say the standard number with metal is going to be a hundred miles an hour, but for a lower level, we're going to say like 97 miles an hour. So, so above 95 miles an hour. You're when you're just sort of clarifying for people that are listening. Are you saying that that number is off of a ball coming moving in ball. or yeah. off of a T? Off a of moving ball. The, the T okay. exit velocity is the, right. the right. dumbest right. measurement tool I, in the history I, of evaluation. I get that, but for most people to understand, your exit velocity should be higher off a ball moving if you square it up than a ball that is sitting still. And the other reason I say that is, you know, for, for especially this is even directed a lot at the parents, the kids that are at home that are constantly just trying to rip balls off a tee at a, to get to a hundred to like, I gotta get to a hundred and realizing that an adequate number in, in your mind, if you're trying to play and get an opportunity to play collegiately at, Obviously, most kids are still at, at a young age and shoot for Division One because that just seems like it's supposed yeah. to be where you're supposed to go. So that's the only reason why I'm using Division One versus anything else. That they think that if that number keeps climbing, that's what that's what is single-handedly get them an opportunity for these colleges to pay attention. And that's why I want to kind of say, like, what do you think that threshold is? So let's say it is 97, 97 off the ball moving, which let's say then in reality might put somebody closer to like. 92 90 to 92 off a t maybe or but it's also like for the, the scout now it's how you do it right? i'm looking at like how is this 97 being achieved right if it's the um there's this this one academy in chicago travis that we get these players from all the time and they're like training i think they specifically train for the t exit velocity drill I'm like dude what are you doing? And they'll turn their torso complete, like they're back to the pitcher completely, wind up and just swing out of their shoes. It's like, that's great. You're never going to be able to hit in a game. And if I'm a college coach, and I look at you, just get, get 97 off of a tee hitting that way. Like I, I just crossed your name off the list because that looks ridiculous. And that's never going to play. It's like, how are you achieving 97? That, that's important to me too. 
Okay, so so now we've got 97, 97 with whether whatever other intangibles for a high school kid to make that that jump to division one. What is in your mind kind of the adequate number to make that jump from your college to a pro level? <laughs> Not much more. Not much more. Um from the college to the pro level, I, I still say like consistently over a hundred. Now you will get some really sexy numbers off like potential sometimes first round guys that are over one Oh five, but it's not a big jump. And I've, I, I was, as you were saying this, I was thinking of a conversation I had last off season with a major leaguer who was training after a high school kid. And, and this is when our hit tracks worked and it hasn't worked for a year. We use rap Soto now anyway, but um the numbers were still up on, you know, how the hit tracks will, like, if you don't turn it off, it'll just have the number up there. And this guy came in, big leaguer, and he goes, who the fuck was hitting 108? I said, that was a high school kid hitting 108. And he goes, you know what? I see this on Twitter all the time where these high school guys are coming up with these ridiculous numbers. And in this guy's work, it's major leaguers work. He would never get into the hundreds in his work. It would, he'd like max out at 98 versus 108. The difference is he could do it all the time. And the 108 would happen once out of, um, you know, an entire lesson where there was just so many mishits. And I think that's the difference. Like, there are some really physical high school kids that can achieve higher numbers. And you heard me say the difference between college and pros, the, the jump from college to pros is really only about five miles an hour. That um, doesn't seem like much of what we just talked about from going from high school to college. The difference is, again, how you achieve it and how often can you do it. So it's still that combines the strength piece of this, which college kids tend to get really, really physical, but it, the strength portion factors into how you transfer that strength into skill versus trying to artificially create the exit velocity. I think it's a good way to bring this all back. No. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's kind of where I was headed with it. Cause I just, it, I think, I think it's still important for, for kids and parents to kind of hear that conversation too. Like I know, it's weird because I like most of the time when we do these, I only think about just like literally like we're just talking. I don't even really realize that we're always recording. It's just like, oh, cool. I get to hang out with Justin today. Yeah, this is why we started um, doing this. And for those listening at home, we've said it on a previous podcast, but I, I don't assume everybody listens to every episode. We started Travis and I doing this because we work completely different schedules now. I'm in the facility in the morning. He's in the facility at night. And I miss the fact that we don't get to collaborate and talk baseball that often anymore. And we used to do that. Even when we were working in different buildings, we used to be able to do it on the road. And we traveled a ton. So on a three-day weekend, Travis and I would come up with all types of ideas. It's like, man, I'm not becoming better as a coach because I don't get to talk to Travis as often. Let's just get together and talk shop once a week. And this, uh, and we'll record it. Yeah, and, that's, and that's why I wanted to bring up like this point, just because I know we've, you know, now, you know, there, there's going to be some people listening. I want, I want kids to understand the perspective of that as well. I want them to understand the importance of knowing that yes, your exit velocity is going to matter. Nobody, nobody can sit and pretend like it's not going to matter. No, absolutely. It, it, it does it matter. An adequate level. Correct. But it also, it, part of it is also simply time. And when I say time, time is literally just in my mind, when I say time, time is strength. It takes time to become strong. Like you don't get strength just because you start working out day one like it takes time and you know to just keep saying like okay i'm gonna try to get my body to have that big huge engine in it where i can hit a ball 108 and my body's not even ready to do it so i'm gonna have to do a lot of things that i aren't gonna work in a sports specific movement to get to that 108 and then i'm gonna go oh crap i can't hit a baseball and then i'm gonna get in a game and i'm gonna feel like i still need to get to that 108 and i'm not gonna hit well because i'm not gonna be willing to go well now i'm gonna live at 85 right now because in my mind, I've seen myself be 108. So I'm going to go in the game and still try to find 108, even though I know it doesn't work. I'm going to try to find a way to make it work, you know, and understanding to do it the right way, to understand, like, you might only be 87 right now. Then be 87. Like, go be 87, you know, work the crap out of 87, get back in the weight room and build the ceiling higher in there. And a lot of it comes from that a lot of it comes from that and I usually like I said I usually just use the word time because it takes time you know like I 
I think, you know, then you, you talk about that difference of kids from college to pro and man, like, I feel like I got, I feel like I got pretty strong in high school, you know, working out and, you know, I played a couple different sports. So, you know, you were in the gym for multiple sports, but man, the jump I made in college and strength was astronomical compared to the jump I made in high school. For sure. And you know, you your body's just, I mean, just age wise, your body's in a different place. You, you are in the right. prime years to be able to do that. Yeah. Right. So I think this is important for people to hear and understand as they're chasing that, that, that thought. So I'm going to kind of bring it back here a little bit, you know, from where we started talking today and then kind of like what you just brought up about being on the road. And, you know, I think, you know, one of, one of my favorite that still stands out was us flying out and being stuck um, in the United club. <laughs> oh, that's writing, a great story. Oh yeah. Writing, you should share this one. In writing. On we wrote like, the entire plan down on before we literally got thrown out of the United club. <laughs> uh, go ahead. Go ahead. You can tell the story. I'll chip in as, as needed. Oh yeah. I mean, we were, we were, we were sitting there and we, we were obviously planning on talking a little bit, got, got stranded at Midway or not. Midway, I think we were heading to Clemson to do a, consulting project yeah yeah got stranded there for a little longer than we wanted to be stranded there like literally decided yeah. yeah decided to go into and become members of the united club just on a whim like oh this makes sense let's just do that we travel enough that's 100 bucks i ever spent <laughs> we made our 100 bucks back that night yeah <laughs> or whatever it was and, might have been 500 bucks but definitely yeah, it was back. it was but just sitting there and it wasn't like just sitting there. It was like, all right, let's just, let's, let's get some stuff out. And you know, it's funny because it's the way it always is. It's like, man, it's like, Hey, I got an idea. Hey, let's talk through some stuff. We got to get through anyways. And I remember you like just grabbed like a stack of napkins or whatever it was you were writing on and just started like laying out like, all right, let's talk through some stuff, got some stuff down here. Then we're like, Hey, we got, what, how is this going to lead to that? And what I, what I wrote for the, you guys listening, and this is before we interviewed for any professional team, but we knew it was coming. It was, so this was probably, I think this is July or August, Travis, probably July. And we knew this, we knew this was coming at the, at soon as the, the end of the big league season was approaching. And we said, if you had just carte blanche and you could write the script for player development on the hitting side, in what you would consider a perfect scenario, which we would all agree that oftentimes the pro model isn't a perfect scenario and every organization right now is trying to better that. It's like, what would you do? And we literally put it on, I think it was napkins, Travis, over a course of eight hours. And we wrote that whole plan. That's like, man, I don't want to lose this. I know I'm going to lose these napkins. Took pictures of it. And then I literally like wrote what I envisioned a, a director of hitting position should look like from, from that conversation in the United club over the course of eight hours, uh, made our $500 back. If you know what I mean, <laughs> and wrote this entire script of what I felt like this was going to could be. Yeah. So that's going back. Like, you know, those, those moments of it, honestly, like, that's where like, I was like, I remember you saying like, okay, you, like, there's no financial constraint. There's no, yeah time constraint there's no there's no this is literally the how can we do it the best yeah you have access to every single thing in the entire world even like even if we had to make our own thing like hey this isn't actually a product yet or this isn't like something that we actually know how to collect data from yet we don't even know if this thing you can literally make things up if you had something you know and and going through and even be like well i want instead of instead of the tech we have i want in-game tech and we want this we want that and we want I would want this and I'd want access to be able to do that. And like, you know, looking at, it, you know, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to get all of it anyways, but yeah, just to say, listen, like how close, if we were going to do a model, how close could you get to where you feel like if I had this and I couldn't get done what I needed to get done, then I need to rethink what I need to do. Cause it was like, listen, this is, if you're telling me you gave me all this stuff, I'm telling you, I can run a department that would just, yeah, and you, a huge piece of that, as you remember, was the tie-in to your strength program. Like, how do we build better hitters? And I'll say this for parents at home. 
uh, I've mentioned it on this podcast. If you are spending an hour on skill in a baseball academy or on your own, you better be spending an hour on your body because you cannot do one without the other. And I said, it doesn't mean that professional weightlifters are going to be good baseball players because you need the skill element. But if you're not strong enough for it to matter, or oftentimes in professional baseball, we are dealing with bigger engines, which also means a bigger need for the strength side to be able to stabilize those moves. Yeah, 100%. Those are always the best times. That was the, I forgot about that, man. That was a, um, literally a, a life-changing moment trip like we we thought this was probably going to happen we were kind of preparing for it and we kind of wrote <laughs> what what do we think this should look like you know that was uh i think there was we were talking to uh one specific team an assistant gm i think i even uh, screenshotted i didn't not the whole thing because i didn't want to give up the, the, the secret sauce, but I, like one piece of this and said, hey, we're in the United Club right now. We're coming up with some really good ideas. What do you think about this? <laughs> That's funny. One of, my, one of my other favorite ones too was one that hasn't come all the way to fruition yet. I still think about on a regular basis was the proprioceptive testing. I remember sitting, we did the same thing. We had that huge whiteboard inside Bradley Center. And we sat there like, all right, what can we do to figure out how to better rate judge somebody's proprioceptive or learning ability. And yeah, I still think there's, there's, there's legs with that. I do. And I think we're, no, we're pretty close. I think there is too. It, everything takes time. You know how things get sidetracked. Cause then it's like, okay, well, we gotta, we gotta shift our focus here for now, even though we need to get back here at some point, like that's the stuff that goes, but like, I could probably go back to my phone right now and the amount of screenshots that I have of whiteboards and same thing like whiteboards and napkins and, you know, taking notes on our phone. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cause like even, even if I have it on my computer, I don't always travel with my computer. So I'll take screenshots of my computer cause I always have my phone. And that way if I'm, if I'm somewhere, I'm like, Oh crap, what did I have on my computer? I'm like, Oh yeah, I still got a you know, screenshot or now obviously we use, you know, more, we can put through stuff through Google docs and stuff like that. But, I'm still, I'm still more, I'm, you know that I'm still more of an old school. Like I just keep it simple. Like I like, all right, I got to go on Google doc and I got to do this. I, I'm the same way. I, all of my ideas first go paper or pen to paper um, before I put anything digital. I just like, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the yellow legal pad. It just, well, that'll be uh that'll be definitely our night next whiteboard session. I probably have like, probably have like 22 different, notes started on my phone of things that i need to need to talk through and need to need to start some testing yeah we, you need, we need to do that it's good you need to take a day off of lessons and just come in and come in in the morning and, and do that with us um I'll, I'll finish up this segment with this i went to the stadium this week for the first time since last january and not, I, I should say my office i've been in the stadium for the games and stuff but um, haven't been in my office since last January. A couple funny things. All of my stuff from spring training was packed up in a box and left in my office probably, I don't know, last April or something like that. And they're actually packing the truck. I was like, shit, I should just put this back on the truck and send it back to Arizona. But um, Rachel and I were walking through and on the whiteboard in the draft room were the notes that we had taken in one of those whiteboard sessions that you you were involved with, they were it was still up on the whiteboard, for probably from last January, just because nobody's yeah. been in there. Yeah, I, I was looking at those notes like, man. And I'll say something about those notes. We've come a long way in a year, yeah. knowledge wise. Yeah, yeah. There was things up there. I'm like, this is. It, it was good stuff, but it was like, yeah, we've accomplished all of this of knowledge or proving certain things, and like we're moving on, moving on past that while Twitterverse is still trying to figure out what vertical bat angle means. <laughs> I got on there yesterday and was scrolling through. I, was, I just got 20% dumber by re reading what I just read, read right here. <laughs> great episode. This was a good one. It, Tra Travis, this is your first one kind of leading the, the MC. You did a great job. That was, that was, that was really fun. Yeah, man. It's always, it's always who, good. You want, who do you want to give a shout out to, to our, our fake sponsors? Um, fuck, man! Now you put me on the spot. I, 
I'm gonna give a shout out to I'm gonna give a shout out to the uh, local bowling alley <laughs> where I get to where I get to where I get to Holbert Lanes over here in Indiana where I get to live up my competitive drive now that I don't play baseball. You you're a bowler? Yep. I think I've bowled in my entire life one game over 100. I mean, that's almost virtually I think, awesome. you know, I, I might just be a really bad athlete. For as good as I was – obviously, I did play pro ball, but I was a good athlete. I played, you know, two sports in college. I could – I was very physical. I could really run. Um, CrossFit athlete later later in my life. I'm terrible at all I, – I can't play darts. I can't play pool. I'm a, the worst bowler in the world. I, like, I can't do anything. Am I just a bad athlete, Travis? I don't know. That's actually, I mean, <laughs> if you're gonna if you're gonna ask me if I had to quantify it, yes, I would be like a good athlete should be able to should do be able that. to do all that stuff. That's right. Like, how can I play two Division one sports and be such a bad athlete? I don't know. But Wild, well. Wildly, wildly fast and wildly strong. Yeah, that was about it. Well, but think about it, right? Like, <laughs> it, it goes back to the other things we talk about all the time. It's like you could just be really. It's good true. I out. I was able to out physical. The competition to a certain point, then they're like, "Yeah, that just isn't going to play at a higher level." Yeah, but yeah, you think about the amount of effort and work it took for you to get those those skill sets to where they were. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. Like, I, mean, I had my own cage growing up, um, so I definitely spent the time on on the skill work. Just wasn't practicing the right things. <laughs> uh, yeah. Good episode. We'll see you all next week. Peace. All right, see you, Trav. I'm heading into the cabin. Bye,